This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Jack O'Connell. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Dr. Brew Littles, we're here in Maple Shade, New Jersey. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Jack, this is, we were just here a couple of weeks ago, and we fell in love with your beer, with your brewery, with your ambiance. You love dogs. <laughs> Bruce Skits is a sponsor of the podcast. Yeah. You have those here. We're going to talk beer today, but talk about how Dr. Brewlittles got started. So Dr. Brewlittles is a creation of uh, me, my friend Chris Torrey, who's the owner of Mount Laurel Animal Hospital, uh, Pensacola Animal Hospital, part of Cape May Epsikin. Um, I've known him for probably eight years at this point now, just about. Uh, and one of our friends, Jeff Bales, who's our realtor and, you know, now, uh, you know, part of the project. So Chris came to me one day with the idea, like, hey, let's start a brewery. And this was probably about two-ish years ago. And I kind of was like a little hesitant at first. So I was 28 at the time. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I'm kind of working on my career path. I'm actually using my degrees that I got in school for once instead of, like, not using them. So, All right. So what was the degree you're using? So I use, a, I have, a, like, two engineering degrees in animal sciences and biology, like, concentration. So that's when I met Chris is when I was going to go to vet school. My original goal was to be a veterinarian. And then I decided I didn't want to go to another four years of school and, like, put myself, like, a half million dollars in debt just to, like, pet cats and dogs. You know, I know they do a lot more than that, but I was like, I, I can't do it. I can't go through a lot of school Wait, you again. get to pet cats and dogs for a fee? Yeah, I honestly, I get to probably <laughs> pet more cats and dogs through this place than an actual veterinarian does. Um, so then we kind of, like, went back and forth. And then before I knew it, um, you know, we were looking at buildings and I was driving all over Jersey trying to find a spot for us. This building kind of fell into our laps. I quit my job in October of 2019, helped design the space, hire everybody, run the front of house. I do all of our social media. So it was very much a, I don't want to do this to a, oh, I'm already doing it kind of scenario. Uh, and it was very quick and immediate. And then before we knew it, like the brewery was open and we were busier than intended, I think. So what's your experience of brewing so there is prior none. to then? There's none. None? Yeah, zero. Okay. So how were you, how'd you go through <laughs> the process of bringing on a brewer or learning how to brew? Yeah. So, I mean, I, back when I lived in Long Island where I was originally born, um, you know, I came out here for an ex, just kind of stayed, met my current wife and just became a Jersey transplant. Been here about 10 years. Um, when I lived in Long Island, I was actually working at a company called Boning Brothers and they're a distributor for, you know, Yingling, Miller Light, but they also have a craft beer department. And I kind of got into craft beer through that. 
like back when like Brooklyn was considered craft beer and Sam Adams and Dogfish, even though they're still craft breweries. I remember I, I was up in Providence when Sam Adams was introduced. Yeah. Back in the eighties. And now they're huge. And it was like, wow, this was like a wave. You got to try this. Yeah. And and you know you don't want to get that stigma, right? But they almost have that. Hey, we're just a big brewery kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, no shout out to Sam and Dan, but like you know, it's just they're not like a. I mean, I know I'm doing quotations for all the listeners. Yeah, air quotes. Yeah, air quotes for all the listeners. Um, my thing is that like you get to a certain size, and it's hard to be a craft brewery once you're mass producing a recipe. There's not really. A, I mean, there's still definitely a craft to it, but you lose a lot of the aspect of what makes craft beer craft beer. Um, so you know, I did like some distribution stuff and sales and marketing. And I did it for maybe only about a year. And then when I came out here, I was doing IT and, you know, kind of in the vet world and just kind of mixing and matching that stuff. And then that was kind of my only experience. So I'd done like two brews in a bag at home when I was like much younger. And then this place was just anything that I've learned or done here is just stuff that I've kind of taught myself over the past two years. Just like really diving into it. Um, uh, when we looked for a brewer, my thing was that I knew that I could have eventually become, like a, in my opinion, a good brewer. Um, I have like a chemistry kind of background, like engineering, like there's, I definitely could have figured out how to make beer. I can follow a recipe. Like I'm a great cook. Like I, I knew I had the aspects to make good beer. I cared about it a lot. Once I really, you know, put my toes in the water of like craft beer, I was like, Oh, this is all I want to do the rest of my life. So I was like, I could definitely do it. But with how densely, you know, Jersey's populated as a state and with how many breweries we actually have, you know, at the time there was 120, I want to say, um, you know, and there are ones that are 10 minutes from us in four directions. I thought, okay, well, if I can't come out of the gate swinging as hard as I can, What's going to bring people to me instead of just saying, okay, I'll just go 10 minutes somewhere else and maybe try them again in a few months. So that's what led me to find a professional brewer. So I want someone in the industry with about like three to four years of experience. Um, fell on my friend Ingrid. Um, she had been brewing for a while. I was over at Tuckahoe and then was at Eight and Sand. And when she came on with us originally, she was our original like head brewer. She had an opportunity to do a project for herself and I didn't want to like, you know, get in the way of that. So she went to her own projects actually brewing in Tenike in Maryland now. And I met Josh Caputo, who was the old head brewer at um, St. Benjamin's. It's now Human Robot. So he was brewing at St. Benjamin's, worked at Mainstay, Duck Rabbit. And we just kind of got chatting. And I'm like, hey, you know, we're looking for a head brewer. Do you want to, like, come down and talk again? See that? And he's like, yeah. And then, like, a, a week later, we're like, hey, like, be our brewer. So I found Josh, and he went to the um, Academy of Brewing Sciences. He's been brewing professionally when I found him for about six years. So he has, a, like, a really good head on his shoulders, makes really, really good beer, in my opinion. So the reason we could come out of the gates so hard so quick and expand as quickly as we did and be as successful as we are is because I have Josh Brewing Beer for us pretty much. That's a huge credit to you to understand your structure and what you're really good at yeah. and what you needed to bring on to, as you said, you want to come out of the gate swinging. Yeah. Your experience I'm already hearing is saying, hey, we've been to some breweries, especially when they open. Yeah. That because of what they have to do to ramp up and get started – it's overwhelming. Yeah. And either they, you know, I, I would say fall flat, but the expectation it's, it's is tough. not met, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we, we even knew, like, from the beginning, too, just with our equipment. So we got a Portland Kettle Works equipment, who a lot of people call, like, the bougie Cadillac of brewing equipment. You know, we paid double what we paid, could have paid for any other equipment. But I knew in my head, this equipment's going to make my brewer's life a lot easier, which will make it easier for him to brew beer and not worry about fixing things. And that'll make our product better. So right from the beginning, I understood that, like, I, I need to do as much as I can in that house back there. So we actually are the only place in Jersey, looking out that window again for all the listeners looking. Um, <laughs> pointing yeah, to pointing your right, to my, my left. Barn, yeah. So if you're driving, look to your left. Yeah. Unless you're in the back seat, look to your right. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> so we're the only actually place in Jersey technically to have two separate buildings. 
So we submitted our plans to the ABC. They said, okay. And we're like, all right, we're going to do it. Cause I know the loophole in your law. Cause my dad's a lawyer. And like, we talked about, it. I'm like, is this okay if I do this? Like, is this loophole right? Cause your building has to be adjoining and on the same piece of property. It's adjoined by a concrete pad and that we own this property. We're not leasing it. Like we own the building and everything. So we submitted that. We did all these things. And when they saw that, they were like, oh wait, you can't do that. I was like, nah, it's too late. It's done. You already said yes. Here's the email. And they're like, oh, we'll like make a fence. So we're like, all right, we'll make a fence, whatever. But that was a guy's backyard before we built that building. So my goal was to give Josh, my brewer, or whoever the brewer was going to be at the time, so this is before we actually had Josh on, basically their own house. They are back there. That's their domain. Like, I help make recipes, and I'll work with them, and we'll figure out what we want to put on tap and stuff. But at the end of the day, like, Josh's house is that building, and this building is my house. So, like, we collaborate all the time, and, like, me and Josh are here all the time. He's always brewing, and I run the front of the house. But I knew if I could give him a space to do what he wants to do, and I knew how he brewed, that we were going to be fine. That's, like, right from the beginning, I did as much as I could to be, like, set whoever we have up to do the back of house stuff and give me more time to run the front. Because I knew I wasn't going to be able to do both. I'd have to do one or the other, and I'd much rather have someone brew than have someone run the business. That was kind of my idea. What I see as a customer... You have such a structured mindset for doing that. It's you're already killing it. Yeah. I mean, the beers are fantastic, Thank you. but you know to see the response and how many people you're bringing in the front door. That's yeah, kind of wild. And you know, you pointed out. Look, within a ten minute drive, you can hit a number of breweries. So it's I don't look at it as being the craft business as being in competition. Because you're all working together yeah. to raise a level of beer. Hundred percent. But people have choices where they can spend their money. Yeah. And a lot of people right now are choosing to come to Dr. Brulips. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Like, I'm almost too busy for my own good. It's weird. Like, it's really weird to, like, talk to my friends and have them ask how, like, my brewery's doing. Because it doesn't always hit me that, like, the job I have and the thing that I own is not a normal thing to do. Like, it's not like, a, you know, ah, you just, my buddy owns a brewery. Like, then people are like, oh, like, what the hell? He owns a brewery. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, it's a weird thing. So, like, as far as I know, as still as of right now, I don't think that the guy who's the guys who opened Buttsville, I think, are a bit older. I am the youngest in Jersey, so I know I'm 30. I just turned 30 this past year, so I know I'm the youngest right now. No one's no one's kicked me out of my seat yet. And then I think we expanded the quickest for a brewery because, like, six months in, we had to buy new tanks because I couldn't I couldn't brew enough beer. Like, we were brewing our like core four and stuff like so frequently that it was eating up tank space, and I couldn't. Like, when we first opened up, like... So, you opened up Labor Day of 2019 or 2020? 20. So we, 2020. Yeah. So, we've only been open about, was that, nine months or so? So, you are a brewery that opened during COVID. Yeah. What's that? I mean, even with all the planning, what, I mean, Labor Day, September, some of the restrictions had already been lifted. We didn't but know But you that, still though. had tremendous number of confines to what you could do. Yeah. So, our original plan was actually to be open in March. Our building was finished. Everything was ready to go. Like, we were ready to brew beer in March. And we were going to be open around St. Patty's Day weekend. And then the pandemic hit. And to, like, to a big credit to us is like Chris Torrey, my partner in the place, you know, owns the animal hospitals. And we were able to financially support the place through COVID because I basically told him, like, I have to have a job. I can't just not have a job for like nine months. You know, like we saved up and I made sure it was a calculated risk I was taking when I, you know, basically put my arms on my side and dove headfirst into the waters of craft beer. Um, but we were able to like financially support the place pretty much on him for about six months. And the thing that really killed us was dealing with the state. Um, I mean, we have, I have no problem talking about how much I hate the state and what the ABC does. Um, they're like regulations for no reason and like crap Look, beer and you stuff. Know, Jack, you make a great point because yeah. we talked to a lot of people about that. Yeah. But think about it. At least you've opened up now Yeah. when craft brewing is more accepted than you could have been, you know, back 10 years ago. Yeah. When- so Jersey hit in like five years or so. 
But the thing that stopped us was like the state went down in like one day every other week through and, COVID. Yeah, yep. and it's not like anyone's fault, but like it was also like it would have taken us longer even if we had everything ready and like the state was working five days a week. So then we actually made our announcement or like planned on our announcement after we got the okay to start brewing because we need to brew before we did anything. And we said, all right, let's give us about three weeks and we'll have two, like four or five beers out of the tanks ready to go. And then the beers that are in the tanks are almost done. They'll be ready the next week. So then when we were literally about to make our announcement, the day before we were going to make the announcement, Murphy came out and was like, oh, hey, by the way, 25% capacity Labor Day weekend. We were like, oh, shit. Like, okay, so I guess now we, like, we're going to open up with 25% capacity and see what that looks like. And we had like a line around the block for like the first like two or three weeks. Like it was just around the block. Like we were barely keeping up with production. And so it was, it was definitely tough opening during COVID, but I also didn't have to go through what a lot of breweries went through with like only doing delivery and only doing this stuff. And a lot well, of places, curbside pickup but a lot of places like actually did like better with curbside delivery and stuff like that. than they did when people could go out to breweries. What would happen is a lot of places would just order local to their house because, you know, you're not taking, you don't need to take a trip. You don't have these places delivered and some places only have certain delivery zones. So a lot of, people who like lived in a town with a brewery that you might not go to as much frequented that brewery more because that was their delivery zone. So if you like, you know, a craft, like a craft store didn't have what you wanted, your delivery brewery was whatever the four breweries around you were, you know, cause other half and, um, Kane and all them weren't really making like big South Jersey trips. Kane started like halfway through and, you know, double nickel was starting to do places, but not a lot of places were doing like big diameter trips, like, you know, outside of like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. It was something as it was something for them to get used to. I mean, you just can't pick up and start delivering beer. Yeah, it's all a learning process. There's a lot, but it sounds like this gave you the opportunity to really ease in. Yeah, and make sure everything you were doing was at a high point of, of how you wanted it to be done. Yeah, weirdly enough, like COVID actually let me grow in stages, but like in a really well like well done pace. So we had 25% and like the things I did day one, I changed day two, like how people waited and how we did ordering. Cause I was like, this is a madhouse. I can't have people like shoulder, shoulder lines around the blocks. Like we did like waiting differently. We went from glassware to plastic and just said like, Hey, listen, it sucks. We all hate it. But like, I can't clean glasses enough for how many people are coming in this place, even at 25% capacity. Cause we had the outdoor section too. And that holds 65 people, even with six feet apart, still 65 people. So we kind of made a lot of changes and then 50% came and then I could let a little more people in, start doing a couple other programs. And then like, they were like, okay, we're going like full on for, was that Memorial Day weekend? I think it was. And we're like, all right, well, here we go. Let's see what a real brewery is like. Cause we had no idea. You know, when I did all of our financial plan to make sure this was like a staple investment for me and Chris, we, in, like we did a hundred percent capacity investment. Cause that right. was You don't think, hey, somebody's yeah. going to say 25, figure out how much money you're going to make on 25%. <laughs> so then my investment like calculations went from, okay, what's a hundred percent to what's 25% with, you know, some distribution look like, okay, well now that, you know, we're five months in and people are asking for cans of beer and cans of beer. And I have a line of like 30 people waiting for me to start giving them kegs and cans already. Like, what does that look like in our model? Cause there's a lot of, there's a big difference between distribution prices and taproom prices. So COVID let me grow at like a really reasonable pace and kind of figure out things that I would have had to figure out like very quickly. And I think people give me a little more credit than I'm due, honestly, because I got to learn kind of in steps rather than learning all at once, which a lot of other places had to do. And so people come to me and they go, how'd you do it? And how'd you do this? And like, I can't believe you were able to do all this. And I'm like, dude, I had like six months where like, I got to say like, oh, nope, sorry, only 40 people at a time. And then, oh, nope, now we can do 60 people. And okay, now we'll do 100 when we're ready. So it was actually like in a weird way, kind of nice to be able to learn in like, you know, stages like that. Jack, I think if you were to look back, there's always that question, what would you tell your nine month ago self today? <laughs> and I think the reality of it is what I'm hearing you say is that 
you know, for a lot of people, the initial shock of the restrictions and what happened with the pandemic was overwhelming. Yeah. But realistically, all that happened to you was in a, you know, if you had to say, hey, Jack, nine months ago, this is going to be a great business model for you. This yeah. is going to be a great learning experience. And it's going to help you ease into where you are today rather than having to, like, just kind of kill it every day with a full bar and everything going yeah. all at once. Weirdly enough, like, I, so I've, I've been asked that question a couple of times, either in, like, you know, brewery meetings from other brewers and stuff. And like, oh, like, what would thing you would have changed or what you've done differently? If you can go back and see, like, what would you have done? I don't know if I'd change anything, honestly, because I always feel like if I had changed other something... Other than people in the pandemic and wearing masks, you would change yeah, that. Yeah, I would change that. <laughs> but I mean, like, from a brewery standpoint, like... Everything that I did helped me learn something else. I went back and changed it. I don't know what my steps would have been. It's like the butterfly effect. Right. You don't know what you would have gone. So it's a weird question for me for someone to ask, like, hey, what would you have changed? So if I change any of that, like, maybe I don't do canning as quick. Maybe I don't grow as fast. So in a weird way, like, I'm happy that every single thing that happened to us happened. I mean, you know, outside of a globe pandemic, because that sucked for a lot of people. But brewery-wise and internal, like, I, I was weirdly enough, like, it, it worked well for us. Like, I was able to learn a lot because this is our, my only business. I was, you know, 30 years old. Like, I'm still fairly young. And this is my only experience in beer, really. Now, at this point, like, I have breweries that I think are, like, you know, way better than I am coming to me and asking me questions. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I guess I'm doing something right. But it, it was because I got to grow in stages and learn over time rather than being like, hey, here's, you know, a thousand pieces, a Lego set figured out. I got 10 pieces at a time. And I kind of build as I went. So, speaking of a Lego set, we've got a flight of four beers in yeah. front of us. I love your flight panel. Thank you. Um, we'll talk about the design there, but what's beer number one? What is it so you're going to want us to have? Beer number one is Doc's Orders. Okay. Um, Doc's Orders is an American Pilsner. We use Cascade and Columbus hops. Um, good Pilsner background with a little bit of Vienna malt thrown in there. It's a 5%, you know, easy drinking kind of pills. The reason I always start this beer is because craft beer, I think three years ago, a lot of people didn't get into and is more widely accepted now. Because craft beer to a lot of people back then was IPAs. And even even back then, like they thought craft beer was oh, you have to be seven, eight percent to be a craft beer. That's not fun for anybody. Like my dad, you know, shout out Pat O'Connell, hated craft beer because he was Mick Ultra, Coors Light, Corona, and that's fine. Because honestly, in a weird way, those are some of the best breweries because they're consistent. Consistent's very hard to do. You can do a lot of things differently very easily, but being consistent's near impossible like they do. So he'd be drinking all these beers and he tried craft beer years ago and it was like a seven percent IPA and he's like, I hate this. So of course you hate that. You go from eating mayonnaise all your life to eating like a ghost chili pepper. You're going to be like, what is this food? I hate this. Like there's no steps. So I think it's really important in craft beer to have a stepping stone. Like how I grew in steps, craft beer should be done in steps. So I always say people walk in on a daily basis and ask me, I drink Bud Light, Miller Light, PBR. Are you still finding people asking that question? All the time. Wow. I still drink PBR. I no, no, it. no. I'm fascinated because yeah. I think I went through that process of yeah. saying – you know, there was a point where I would say, you know, I, I don't, you know, what's closest to like a Pilsner or an ale? Yeah. Or I only like a light beer. Or, mm -hmm. You know, whatever phase I was going through, I would have to ask that question. Yeah. I, I maybe I'm at a point now where I have a better understanding of beer. Yeah, I get it at least once a day. But I'd be surprised based on the level of experience now. And I, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Once I really a, do. Once a day. And so I'll always start them with usually Doc's orders. Because I'm like, this is a light beer. This is exactly what, like, you know, Miller Light, Coors Light, but it's a good version of a, like a Pilsner. And it's going to have a little bit of hop at the end to kind of say, like, okay, hey, this is still a craft beer. It's not just like a dead flat beer. And I still like it's weirdly enough, like, I have a $600 bottle of beer in my fridge right now sitting next to a half drank 30 rack of PBR. Like, I am a trash can for alcohol. So I don't like when people are like, oh, I can't believe you drink Bud Light or Miller Light. Like, no, no, that's what people start with. And it's okay that they start with that. It's not okay if they keep going back to it, but it's okay that they start with it. <laughs> I always, 
uh, you know, the, the nose, I get a little yeastiness on the nose there. Yeah, so you're going to get that. So, like, a lot of, like, pilsners to me, like, should have that kind of, like, yeasty maltiness, like, to it. Because you don't want to, like, not smell anything in a but beer. But it's so pleasant. I feel like yeah. I'm just walking into a bakery right now. Because, like, so you, that's fresh. the malt build. So you get pilsner malt in Vienna, like, a really good, like, little touch of Vienna malt. But the pilsner, like, backbone is what we use. We use two-row pills for a lot of our um, pilsner or pilsen malt for a lot of our beer. And I like that better. There's a... People use some, another malt called Marisotter, and I like Marisotter, but I feel like Pilsner is a really good foundation for all beer, and you can be very versatile with it, and it's also just like very, very consistent, and I like consistency. So using that as our backbone, I can build a lot of different things off of it, but it gives me a stable foundation with whatever I make. Um, I, I also noted on the nose, I got this like buttery saltine okay. on the nose too, and I think that's so refreshing yeah. that in a lot of places, at least for me, you're behind the bar or you're running the front of the house. I think it's just as important as you take a no- get the nose feel for beer, but you watch people just drink it, right? Mm-hmm. I-, I think it's a, it's a nice welcome um, introduction to what the beer is going to be. Yeah. That's why I like this, like, like a Pilsner a lot. And like some of my favorite beers are like Pilsners, um, lagers. Like I'm, I like IPAs, but I feel like IPAs is tough because a lot of places you'll go to, and I never call anyone by name, but it's, it's definitely a problem in Jersey where you'll have a list of 12, 15, 20 beers, half, more than half, three quarters will be IPAs. And the other thing, too, is they'll make a base IPA and then make four different beers off of it. Half of them have lactose in it. We barely say the L word here. I refuse to put lactose in any of my beers. It has no place in beer, in my opinion. <clears throat> I'm not like a purist. Oh, you're, you're starting. You're now there's a whole oh, controversy. Uh, no, I, all, the, all the hype boys can come get me. Like, it's lactose. I, I think that's yeah. important because, you know, it's, it's like saying, you know, when you when you fortify a you know when you add sugar to a wine or yeah. you change the complexity, um, there's that conversation in whiskey. Do you filter it or it should be unfiltered? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's white out. Essentially, I think lactose is what hiding or sweetening in yeah, a way. You're covering up the fact that you mess something up right. or you don't feel comfortable with your beers. And I, lactose may be in a milk stout because it's literally called a milk stout. But like I, I'm so like I said, I'm 30. People who are my age really don't have good beer palates because a lot of the hype boys are the people who have hype, you know, palates. A lot of lactose, smoothie sours, all that stuff around my age. And like you know, you say like, oh, I can't believe my dad drank like Miller Lite and all that stuff. But now they've graduated to Pilsners and Lagers, and that's a good base for beer. But like I, I don't like I don't like adjuncts in my beer. And anything that we ever put in to sweeten or do like quote unquote artificially, I'll either use all natural fruit ingredients. Or basically as, as close as I can get to that fruit naturally without like putting in any like no lactose, no like sugar, none of that stuff. Like I try to be as natural as I can with these beers and I think it shows. You want the ingredients to shine. Yeah. And if they don't, it's not a beer for you. You're so, not going to make that. No. If I don't like it and Josh doesn't like it, we don't make it. We both hate lactose in our beers. We think it has no place. So the other thing that we get a lot too with that, like going into like the beer world is untapped is a big thing in craft beer. I, you know, couldn't give two shits about it like i really don't if you want to rate my beer one star go ahead like i know what my beer tastes like i know it's how it's supposed to taste like i know people who are drinking it like it so that's all i care about but we get a lot of people who are like we'll try grogs when we get down the line our third one's grogs we'll get there and they go i could use lactose in this oh, i'll make it like a thicker mouthfeel i'm like no, no no why do you want adjuncts in beer your palate's so trained to like these big sugary milkshake ipas that you have no idea what a real true ipa is or like the west coasts like west coast now are these big like hot perfume bombs it's like, hey, look at all this like mosaic galaxy, you know, like these big crazy floral hops. I'm going to put six of them in there, and you're going to barely want to drink this beer. And if you do, you're going to have one of them. Like that's not a fun beer to me. A fun beer is something I can have a four pack of. A fun beer is something I can like share with my friend, but also keep three for me. Like I don't want a beer that like you know when we go to these beer shares. I'm like I'll take a sip and I'm like oh thank God I only had a sip of it because I can never finish this whole beer. 
And I think people who do finish those whole beers finish them because they think they have to. They think that's what craft beer is. And if they like something more subtle and delicate and like basic, like a Pilsner or a lager, they're going to get ostracized from the craft beer world. I think that's really dumb and it needs to change, basically. You made an amazing point because the palate that we have is so gravitating towards sweetness. Mm-hmm. We, we are such a sugar... Yeah. You know, we, we, we put lots of sugar in this and that and the other thing that when you start to pull sugar out of your, you know, palate, out of you your like diet, it. it takes some time to get used to. Yeah. But then you discover all these other flavors when your palate readjusts. Yep. And I think that's the creativity and that's the concept that you want from your beer that you don't want to hide it. We, we go back to that. We, you don't want to hide it with sugar. And yeah. you made another great point about, you know, Dawn and I, and, you know, if you listen to the podcast, we're not huge IPA fans. There are IPAs that we have really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But... Why do we like other things? Because we can drink a couple of them and we can finish. Yeah. Not, we've never felt we had to finish anything. Yeah. But we, you know, to that point, we want to enjoy it. Yeah. I, I want to enjoy the whole experience of a beer, not feel like oh, I can't take another sip of this because it's, it's just tough. hoppy, florally. I mean, I love the citrus. I, I love, you know, we'll, we'll do more of a juicy IPA. That's what, yeah. So that that's that's our that's well, it's our. It's important too because like you should never go to a place and struggle on a flight of four to not have four IPAs. That's insane to me that that even exists in the beer world because all you're doing, like I said, is ostracizing a bunch of people. So now if you have this flight and like you have someone who like doesn't really love craft beer that much but is willing to try some different stuff and you can't give them like a pilsner or a lager, even like a seltzer, then like these people are not going to want to come back. And all you're doing is losing a customer to keep the guy who's drinking the same beer. Once every other week, you know, if you're lucky to see it. So, Jack, do you feel like your idea is that you want to be a, a comfortable place where many different kind of beer drinkers can come to? Yeah, 100%. So, like, we have 16 taps. I have 15 beers on. I have three IPAs. And everything else is variety. IPAs. Which is, for us, we, we walked in. We're like, okay, three IPAs. We're good. Yeah. You had a great stout on. Buster Rhymes, which you're going to yeah. try next. Um, you know, we, we your Kolsch. Yeah. I mean, I, I can go through what we had and what we saw, <laughs> but they were all really amazing beers. Thank you. Not like, look, and, and I think a lot of what you're saying is this, you know, the breweries will brew to the masses, right? Mm-hmm. If IPAs are hot and IPAs are what people drink, then they're going to make sure they brew to them because that's what people are coming in to drink, yeah. right? We... We um, interviewed and uh, big fans of Mooduck Brewery out in Elizabethtown, PA. Okay. But their number one seller is not an IPA. As it should be. It's a lager. Yeah, surprisingly enough, ours is, but only because, like, it, the people in town, apparently, like, we started them with Pilsners, and now they're all moving towards it. But it's the same thing of, like, a seltzer. Like, seltzer got ostracized, and, like, no one wanted to brew it or make it. And then people realize, like, oh, if there's a group of six people going out and two of them don't drink beer, they're not going to pick a brew. They're going to pick a bar. Make a seltzer. It's sugar, water, and yeast. It does cost nothing to make. Just don't make it sugary and make it, like, a good 5%, and people will drink it. You'll get more people because of that. And so we also noticed, too, is that, like, I would I don't care if no one ever hypes my beer up. I really, really don't. Like, my thing is that, like, I have people who are coming in here that I see on a weekly basis but I would say about 70% of our customers at this point are regulars that I see like every week. And we're still shoulder-to-shoulder packed on the weekends. It's the same people because they like coming out because we give the variety. And so I don't care if no one ever like writes up like a huge article about how good my hazy is, about how like, you know, awesome and I get hyped up and all this like hype boy stuff. I don't care about that. What I care about is the same thing for like untapped. 70% of my people are regulars. 50% of them don't even know like what untapped is, which is why I get no ratings, so I don't care. 
So I get people okay, coming we, in we face rated, to face. We rated your beer, so yeah, <laughs> that's fine. But I get people who come in face to face and tell me about my beer, and I'd much rather that than like try to scroll on an app and figure out like you know someone gave a porter two stars. I don't care about that. I really don't. Like, See, I look at it this way. I, I think that there's always that part of the world that's ready to down something. Or, 100%. But I don't, again, it, the podcast for us, we want to have conversations with people that we like what they do yeah. and the product they're making. I mean, I'm not here to hype everybody. Yeah. But if you're making and you're doing something really special, yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you. I want to promote and let other people know your story. Yeah. But I also don't think it's our place. And we've gone to places where we say, eh, not yeah. so much. What, who, who is it for us? Who are we yeah. to, to go on, like you said, untapped and, and give a two-star rating? I would rather go to the bartender and, or the server and say, listen, maybe somebody had a bad day or maybe you don't know this isn't you know, a high – maybe something happened to this beer. It's not to our expectations. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you rather have a conversation than look and see a comment like, you know, beer sucked? Yeah. Or whatever. I mean, my thing is that, like, I think at the end of the day, like, I like this hype. Like, actually, like, sitting down and talking to people face-to-face about stuff more than, like, I don't need someone with, like, you know, 10,000 Instagram followers to hype up my beer. And, like, that's, like, the, you know, they're going to come. And I've had people come in. You know, from out of state and stuff like that. I also have friends who, like, I consider kind of like quote unquote influencers, and I've met through the beer world that way, and I love them to death. Like, there's Pint Size Leah and there's Crafty Tats. I'm in his wedding party, and I met him in October. He's like become one of my best friends, and he's like a big beer Instagram guy, and so is Leah. She has like 10,000 followers. She's the manager over at Mechanical in Cherry Hill. Like, I helped her get her job there, and I love them both to pieces, and that's the good side of the industry, like the good side of like the Instagram industry. But I've had people come in from out of state and be like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like, talk with me, and it seems natural, and they're like, oh, you'd be cool if like I take a flight like I don't it's the same thing like I don't got paid for it but I have like 12,000 Instagram followers and like you know or they'll pay for a flight and then like they'll be like oh I'm gonna take pictures of your beer and then they're like man I want to hype this up but like I really just like I was looking for a milkshake or like something like this and I was like I, I don't need that like I, I don't need that in my life I want this in my life where it's like let me just sit down with like two other people and talk about how much we like beer not hey give me a picture that like 8,000 strangers can give a thumbs up to and move on about their day I don't care about that it's such a weird way that we operate in the world today, right? Mm-hmm. In, in As a consumer, I guess I don't think about stuff like that. I just want to enjoy what yeah. somebody else is doing. I, I don't, you know, and, and if we can promote it, if I can introduce, like, we met Mike. Yeah. Mike's now one of the guys behind your bar pulling taps, and he is helping with the Busta Rhymes. It's his collaboration. Yeah, so that's actually the next beer. So let's talk about that right. one. But I don't want to discount this one for a second <laughs> because... One of the things I keep, like I said, this is sipping to me. It's it's a small five ounce pour, but I'm enjoying the way it quenches my thirst. And I guess it's the barley or the malt that kind of dries out at the end. Yeah, so you'll get that more than like the hops. We just use Magnum hops in it, right? So like the hop profile is not meant to be like very bitter, but you get like a little bit at the end. You get a little bit of bitterness, but you get the dryness. The quench just comes from a good yeast and a good malt build. Yeah. Same thing. Like I still love like if I'm doing yard work, like you know I work on our balcony or like. Doing stuff outside, I still love the feeling of having like a ice, ice cold to where my head hurts. Miller High Life after like or like for a shower beer, nothing is better than a really cold pilsner to like quench thirst because it's, it's it also is a, it's a lot of water. It's not a lot of like alcohol, and so the reason that like some of those beers are like thirst quenching. Why is, do you think they sell them at the ball game? I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of water. And, and people are gonna order more. Yeah, right. But like, so that's the same thing. Like we made that pilsner to be like a you have a hot day, you're mowing the lawn. Like that's the beer you want to go get. Like, you don't want to drink a 9% IPA as you're out mowing the lawn. Same thing, like, I, I golf a lot. 
And that's like the only thing I, when I get free time is I try to like get a round or two in a week. That's what gets me outside because I barely do any exercise. It's terrible. Um, but when I golf, like I'm not going to drink a 10% beer. I'm not going to drink these big hype beers that I have in my fridge. I'm going to go get like a six pack of like Miller Lite or like Amstel Lite or Seltzers or like a transfusion. You still want to have a good round of golf, yeah, right? Yeah, and I'm already not great at it. So like the last thing I need is to be drunk by a whole like seven and then just to throw my game away by the end. Like I don't need that. It's, it makes it as a better excuse for me, though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I should probably start drinking more than I have an excuse why I can't play. <laughs> so Buster Rhines. Yeah, so Buster Rhines is a beer. So um, Mike was a guy who we met just through, like, kind of friends of friends came in, like, reach out the collaboration idea. And I was, like, just the first one to be like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so Mike does, like, hip-hops, like hip-hops apparel and craft beer. And when he came with the idea, it was something that I've been thinking about for a while in the craft beer industry where, to be perfectly honest, craft beer as an industry is a pretty middle-aged white guy community. It is. Like, you get, like, millennials to, like, 45, 50-year-old white guys, and that's a lot of what craft beer is. And it's just from, like, a natural progression of things. Like, that's who started. That's what kept going. And I think that demographically, not a lot of, like, minorities got into craft beer because they were afraid of it. It's identification, too. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's what – and I, I would also say part of it is it's how we're influenced. It's how we're marketed to. Yeah. Right? So our goal with Mike was to kind of bridge that demographic gap. And not even from a sales standpoint, just from like a making craft beer more approachable standpoint. So we got to talking about it. His idea was, you know, we were going to contract brew for him. And he was going to go out and distribute the beer and do all the sales and stuff. So basically our part was brewing the beer and being the backbone of the beer. And he would take care of sales. And I love the idea because, you know, Mike's a black guy. We say all the time, like, it's hard for me to go into a store and be like, hey, I'm a 30-year-old white guy. And I'm going to bridge a demographic gap. People are like, get the hell out of my store. Like, I don't want that. So Mike can go in and he's that, that connection, that bridge. So I can make a beer that's more approachable. So we made Busta Rhymes because when we talk about palates, you know, that minority community had a sweeter palate because they were used to like sugary drinks, sweeter beers, things like that. And so we decided we're going to make a 5% wheat beer, an orange wheat beer. And he does like hip hop stuff. It's like Busta Rhymes, Busta Rhymes kind of thing. And that's like a more approachable craft beer. The same thing with my dad is you want a stepping stone. So you want to tell them like, hey, you know, this is what craft beer is. It's approachable. It's, it's open. Like everyone's invited. So you don't have to feel like you're on the outside of the circle. Like come in and hang out with us. So our goal with this is to have Mike go out, bridge that gap, and kind of get more minority communities into craft beer. Not even just for me, but for all of beer, really, in, in like Jersey to start, and then kind of branching out in the States and stuff. Because there's like not a huge movement to like do it. And there's also not a lot of minority-owned craft breweries in the States. So we're trying to like as hard as we can to be like, hey, like – this is an open community. Everybody's like welcoming everyone. And we want people to know like craft beer is for everyone. It's not just for like a specific demographic kind of thing. It's an important conversation to have. And the collaboration with somebody taking that to a new community, mm. I think is so valuable. And I think the way you understand it is important. Yeah. And you've got such an amazing entrepreneurial business mindset to begin with. <laughs> nice. You really do. But it's, it's not necessarily like if there's an opportunity, I'll go for it. Yeah. It's understanding that this is a way to talk beer mm-hmm. and bring it to another community yeah. to open all this up. Yeah. I mean, I'm very transparent about like how we do like monetarily. So other brewers come in and ask me questions. And I told Mike, like, this wasn't about making money for me. Like, I don't care if I made a dime off of this project. This really was because I cared about making craft beer more open community. And so the first probably 10 times we brew for Mike, I'm not making a dime. If anything, I'm probably taking a hit on it. But I just want to get that out there. I want him to get, like, you know, the ground under him. I want him to start getting that stuff in the stores and getting in the hands of people who it's met, like, you know, in other communities and stuff. And, like, yeah, we have a plan to do um, Nugtorious, like a 7.5% New England hazy. 
But the way we look at it is like, this is the beer to put in the store. It's a haze. like when you go to a concert. And we kind of joked that like a lot of like hip hop concerts and stuff are mostly like white guys my age. So they're looking for the hazy IPA. It's, it's a majority of people who go to these concerts. And so like, I, I don't care if I make, if I don't make a dime on this project. I really don't. Like, that's not what it's about. It really is about just kind of making an open forum. What for you're people. making, and that's your point. You're yeah. making, it's a forum. It's yeah. conversation. It's growth. You may not see it today, but down the road, you can look back and say, the inroads that we made, what we impacted, look at what's going on in that community now. Yeah. You've got minority-owned, black-owned breweries opening up. Yeah. It was funny because when we met Mike, it was a, I was thinking about that. that. Just of all the you – know, you know, we, we talk about interviewing people and I'm thinking – it's just in my head. I mean, who do we know that owns a black-owned brewery? I mean, it's tough. It, 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 I mean, I think there's one or two in Jersey that I know. Of. Yeah, I mean, there probably are other ones I don't know. It's 128 right, right. now. But but again, it, they don't stand out. I mean, you're starting yeah. to see in the distillery community more yeah. minority, more black-owned like distillery. Lions something was the last one that I, I forget. There was one like recently in the last year that opened up that was like black-owned, which was awesome. But I, I think nearest green. In yeah. Tennessee is really, yeah. I mean, the one in, um, and I don't remember the name, and I apologize to those distillers, but the ones that, you know, the one that was in um, in Minnesota um, or. Um, I don't know. I just know about the one in Jersey. Yeah, but I'm just saying that we're starting to see these distillery, black owned distilleries or minority owned distilleries. Yeah. And I think it's just going to be a progression. Yeah. But what you're doing and the collaboration and this this beer is delicious. I and mean, this is the second time I've had it, and <laughs> I want more. I really do. We we Dawn and I would say, you know, we love the beer. We enjoy what you're doing. Thanks. And just this is delicious. Yeah, it's an easy drinker. It's five percent. It's a uh, it's an orange wheat. So we basically just use like a really nice, light, delicate yeast. Um, we put oranges all the way through. So we use fresh oranges and a really natural extract. So basically just concentrate orange because it's hard sometimes to get like full fruit extract once you have like rinds and like pulp and stuff like that. So we do use whole oranges, but we also use like really, really natural extract for it. And so it's basically just like juice, like pure juice. So we put that in the beer and then it's like the same thing, like a really light, delicate, like malt builds, like a little Vienna, a little flaked wheat. Like it's just enough to kind of like have like a soft mouthfeel to it, but not enough where it's like a big hazy IPA, but it's, it's smooth. It's a little sweet. Like it's not like overpowering of orange, but it's a nice like delicate orange from like, you know, nose to toes as we say. You just described my whole experience. Yeah. I got nothing else to say on that. That's exactly what I'm, I'm listening to. Like, get out of my mouth. Yeah. I mean, so I've done a lot of like research in beer lately. So like I have like my BJCP. Um, I have my level two Cicerone now, so like it's I like once I got into beer, I was like, okay, if I'm you just beer, you made you went to the deep yeah, end. Yeah, I have a very addictive personality. Like okay. very, yeah, so like when I picked up golf, I started in 2019, and I started shooting like a 120, like everyone, and now I'm shooting like the mid 80s. Like awesome. Yeah, so like I, if I start something, like so you I, go I need out to, on tour, you wear your Doctor Brutals I you do know, swag. Yeah, 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 you yeah, go yeah. out there, you know, you'll be on tour. I'm right? already technically sp- I'm sponsoring myself. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I, I know I have a very addictive personality. So when I, the big reason I did a lot of research into this first was to make sure that like it's something I want to do. Because you can ask my parents and all the notes they got home from my teachers. If I'm not interested, I'm not interested. I went to college. Is that a Jersey thing? Because I grew up in Mount Laurel. So I don't know. Yeah, I, so I, mean, I grew up in Long Island. But okay. when I would like when I went to college, like I gra- I did well in high school. Like I, I did well. Like I'm a, I'm a, I know I'm a smart person. Like I know my IQ is like a 139 or a 140 now. Like I, I'm smart, but I'm also like very disinterested in things. So if I can't grasp onto it and be interested in it, I have I have no interest for it. I don't care. That's why I skipped classes in college. Like professor would tell me like to show up for like tests. Great, you'll never see me again. And I would show up for tests, get an A in the class, and they'd be like, they'd be disappointing because I can't believe you show up to class. But don't tell me that then, because I don't like your class. I'm not going to come. So my parents would get notes all the time, be like, oh man, he's really smart, he's really engaging, but also he doesn't care. And I'm like, that's 
been like my whole life. So like when I started doing research for this, I wanted to make sure I really did care about it before I got into it. Cause if I didn't, I would feel disingenuous or like not fully like, you know, if I didn't grasp what it is, I wouldn't want to do it. So then I got into it. I started getting a little more research and like really figuring things out. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I really like this. So like, I just like put my hands on my side, dove off like a 40 foot diving board. And like, I just haven't looked back since pretty much. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk more. We have two more <laughs> beers to talk about, but we'll be back in a second. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits, your dog will go wild. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. We're back at Dr. Brew Littles, and we now have another beer here but talk about these panels man i mean they're just gorgeous yeah so I mean, we, you like i'm looking at these tables up here <laughs> and you've got these beautiful wood ta- you put there's there's detail and everything is just amazingly high quality here thank you yeah i put a lot of work into this place and you know me and chris designed it but like so i designed like the flight boards and we have like the little prescription pads for like our flight pads and stuff like that like a doctor's office so we had a guy um henry who has like a metal fabrication shop in town. So as, as local as I can do stuff, I try to do. So basically like I got hooked up with them and I was like, Hey, I want to make flight boards. These are like laser. Yeah. Cut. So we were between wood ones and metal ones. But in my opinion, like I didn't want wood on top of wood. I wanted like a dichotomy between materials. So I wanted to show like, if you're going to see the flight board on a table, I want it to like show up on the table or show up in a bit. Like I wanted to show on things. So if I had like another wood flight board, it kind of blends into it. And they could be really nice, but they're also pain in the ass to clean too. So we went with metal and I kind of gave him an idea and he actually made the rivets. I gave him a flight glass and he made rivets to fit the glasses. He did all the cutouts of everything. This is actually a single piece of metal bent and cut because he has a laser cutter. So he did all of our flight boards, made like 35 of them or something like that. So we, now I, I like the metal ones a lot better than the wood ones. Hopefully you keep holding on to 35. Yeah. So I, I actually, surprisingly enough, like I haven't lost a ton of glassware. Um, and like I haven't, I don't think I've lost a single flight board yet. I, I mean, that's not a conversation we've had with anybody. Yeah, it's, but you know, it's, where, it's where things kind of start to walk out the door. It's, it's almost understood in the industry, and I feel bad. But like, I think no matter what people say, there's like you know they say there's two kind of people in the world: those who pee in the shower and liars. There's two people in the world: there's those who steal flight classes and liars. Even I've done it. I own a crap brew, and I know that I've walked away with the flight class. So I get a little tuned up, or like I'm with a bunch of people, and like I just I'm like, this is a cool flight class. And, like, I've even told people of breweries that I went to now that I know them as, like, owners and stuff. Like, I, I stole flight class from you guys, like, a year ago. They're like, oh, that's fine. We stole flight class from, like, buddies of us, like, down the street. And I was like, yeah. It's understood that you lose, like, 25% of your glassware within, like, your first year and a half or so. I have to be honest. We've never I done that. I was going to say, I don't think we've ever done that. All right. I mean, I don't You're know. You're just better we're... people. That's all. No, yeah. I don't know. Because I'll, I'll pee in the shower. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. See? Then there you go. Yeah. See? One of those have to check out. You either steal flight classes or you pee in the shower. I love that or my mom listens both. to the podcast. Yeah, so my mom's going to hear this too. Sorry, yeah. mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Peeing in my family shower back in Long Island. That's great. Sorry. <laughs> so what's number three on this beautiful paddle? So number three is my beer. So I should just mention uh, Doc's order is actually, the way we got Doc's, it's not D-O-C, it's D-O-C-K, is um, my brewer's late cat, Doc, uh, who passed away like last or I guess earlier this year. Um, our kind of things we all named beers after our animals. So Josh had Doc the cat. Um, Chris, my partner, has uh, had late dogs. Gus and Gigi, hence G and G Bubbly, our seltzer. 
And then I have my little boy, Grog. His, my cat's name is Grog Strongjaw. So I'm definitely. Right, I don't want to bring something in the conversation, but did the first two pass away? So Doc passed, which Josh's cat. Right. And Gus and Gigi passed a couple years ago, but it was a few years ago. Uh, I'm good. It's kind of like a remembrance if you, if thing. If you yeah. have a beer named after you, it's Yeah, not it's a little, it's a little dicey, yeah. but Grog's been good so far. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's going to live till he's 40. It's fine. So I'm actually, surprised enough, like way more of a cat person than a dog person. Um, so Grog is like, I always say, like my little angel, my little boy. And so I told Chris when we were opening this place up, like I'm a thousand percent naming a beer after him. I also have a wife, a dog, and another cat. They'll never get a beer named after him. Okay. Just Grog. Um, so this is actually our number one seller. It's never been dethroned in nine months. It's never been dethroned. Um, we got close when we do an Oktoberfest that we did last year. We actually just started brewing it now, so we're going to have a little surprise. If you listen to this, it's coming out Labor Day weekend. We're going to aim for Labor Day weekend. And that got really close to beating Grog's because we brewed it four times in two months. And that was, so we, we had to brew a five-barrel batch, 40 kegs. Like four times, so like what we total was forty kegs. So we went through so much of it, so we're bringing it back in September. Um, but this is our New England Hazy IPA, seven percent, really easy mouthfeel. Um, we use uh, citrus. I think it's interesting that you talk about that you're not an IPA guy. Yeah, but, but Grog is my beer. Your dogs, that, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I know it's like a weird thing that like I Such really a dichotomy. It is like I like pilsners and like I think like saisons and mixed fermentations and like beer de guards and brets are my favorite beers. But I do know that, like, I do like a hazy IPA because same thing with like stepping stones. People say they don't like hazy or don't like IPAs. More than likely, it's not that you don't like IPAs. You don't like hops. You don't like bitter things. Like, if someone says they don't like a BLT, you probably just don't like tomatoes. So, like, when, with a lot of these IPAs. I just don't like bread. Well, I mean, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you just eat salads, then basically. That's why we look very different. <laughs> so, I always say, like, all right, you don't like IPAs, like, try it. So I, tell you what, I usually don't tell people what it is when they're trying it first because I don't want them to get an idea of something in their head. And so I'll be like, try this and let me know what you think. And I'll say one or two. And one of them sometimes is Grog's. Like, oh, I really like this one. I'm like, yeah, a lot of citrus, you know, a little bit of a dry hop finish. It's an IPA. They go, I don't have IPAs like that. It's like, no, no, you've had like West Coast IPAs, American ales, like stuff like that, which are good beers, but it's the hops you don't like. You don't like the bitterness, the pininess that some people go for. But Grog's doesn't have that. That's exactly why we don't like. But Grog's doesn't have any of that. This is a good IPA. I actually like this a lot. So. Go through the process of what makes this an IPA to understand why this is. I mean, you already talked yeah. about it. it's not overly hoppy. So there's there's like four ingredients in beer. Everyone knows it's water, yeast, hops, and malt. That's right. pretty much you can make any beer with those four ingredients. And we only use those four ingredients to make this beer. So when you get like big orange notes or big things like that, like the citrus in this is just from those four ingredients. There's zero adjuncts in the beer. So basically, we use like a nice, easy again pilsner uh, pilsner with like flaked oats and wheat. A lot of like wheat and like oats that gives it a kind of like, that taste. I think that, that also mellows it out yeah. too. Doesn't yeah. It? So when you use like those like wheats and oats, like especially like wheat, like flaked wheat, you get a lot of like um, that's where you get the haziness from. And then um, citra, mandarin, and lemon drop are three, in my opinion, very delicate hops. Citra is a very widely used hop because it's very versatile. Lemon drop hasn't gotten a lot of like it was big for a while and then kind of died out. But I like lemon drop a lot because it adds a lot of citrus with no bitterness, in my opinion. And then um, mandarin is just another like really well-rounded hop. So we didn't want to do like this big, crazy galaxy mosaic, you know, B seventy-two experimental hop beers. We just want to be like, hey, here's a good citrusy New England hazy IPA. That's all we want. And so. The one thing we did flip around a little bit was our yeast build. I was going to ask you, yeah. where, 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 because you're talking about your brewer yeah. comes from the University of the Sciences. Yeah. And I know that they developed their own yeast strain over so there. We use one of their yeasts. We're actually, so, side story about that is we also do a um, Shoreside Brewing, is a home brewer, Chris, and he's doing a brewing competition. So, one of our beers we had on called Wash, it was a uh, 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 Grisette. 
and they won the competition for Shoreside. So he has like 12 homebrewers. They're all sending in beers, and he, we're all judging them. And then we said that we would brew the winners for him. So we just brewed the Grisette, and then Friday we're getting together with actually a guy that I know, funny enough, wanted uh, Harry, who's through Experimental, is the name of his like home brewery, and we're doing like this like smoked Japanese fermented plum sour, and we use Philly sour yeast a lot. We that's the only sour yeast we use now because I hate kettle souring. I think it's a long drawn out process that does not add anything to the beer. If anything, it just is more of a pain in the ass, add more bacteria and kettle sour. So you can just specifically throw in yeast and be done with it. Um, so the guy who actually made Philly Sourys, I believe his name is Matt, is coming out on Friday to brew the beer with us. So I'm meeting the guy whose yeast is probably one of my favorite yeasts that we use. So it's like a weird like. He's a great. I, I met him at yeah. the uh, Band of Media. It's so course. weird. He just is like, I found this on a tree in a graveyard. Now it's a beer yeast. Like that's insane to me. Yeah, that's kind of why I like the science of things. But so, I love, I love that. That's where the craft industry has gotten. Yeah. To. That this is you're you're thinking so far to the yeast yeah. and the quality and what it can impart into a beer. Yeah, your yeast is very important in your beer. So we actually flip flop this one a little bit. We started out with a yeast called A thirty eight. It's a it's called juice. It's made by Imperial Yeasts and it's a liquid yeast. Problem we ran into is like it's a really really good yeast as a like a big like just very solid mouthfeel of the beer like hazes it up like really well done but six liters of it's like 600 bucks because it's 300 dollars for the yeast and 300 dollars from shipping from portland because it has to be overnighted because liquid has oh, to be yeah. overnight and refrigerated they just opened a place up in philly but it's still an expensive yeast so i thought okay well, what's a good alternative for this yeast i don't want to lose any quality on the beer if anything i want to gain it but i'd like to use more of like a brick yeast or a dry yeast because that was a wet yeast so then we found a yeast from Lollaman called like, I think like one, three something. It was like a New England hazy specific yeast. And I think a lot of times when people get like, so this beer will never drop out. This beer could sit in the keg for two months, but won't drop out because we use a, a specifically New England yeast. A lot of times when you see like a hazy IPA, but it's like kind of the color of like a regular American ale, it's because the yeast dropped out, the haziness, the cloudiness dropped out because it's not the right kind of yeast. It's not holding that cloudiness. So we found Lollaman's yeast, but then of course there was a huge shipping issue. We can't get the yeast anymore. So then we, I like talked with the company. I was like, listen, like I hate flip-flopping about the yeast. I, I want to make a consistent product because 90% of beer drinkers aren't going to taste a difference when we switch up the yeasts, but I know it, and I know some craft beer drinkers know it. So I want to make a consistent product. I like consistency a lot. So then I talked with the company, and um, they recommended a yeast called Verdant, and it's the same thing. Lollaman makes it. It's Verdant yeast, and it's done through um, uh, Philly, again, like the Philly, Philly yeast. And so I love it. It's I think it's better than the liquid yeast that we used. It's a lot cheaper, but it makes the beer like a little, like a really, really minute amount sweeter. But then the finish is like a lot drier. And I like that. Cause like when I drink wine, I drink really dry red wines. Like I like a wine where like I feel like I'm, I'm more thirsty after drinking it. Like that dry kind of red. So I want my New England to finish dry. Like I want it to be like sweet on the palate, but like finish dry. And I think that's what this does. Like no hot, there's not a lot of hop on the end of it. It's a nice dry light finish. And that's kind of, you know, that was a, the back and forth on the yeast. But we finally, after nine months, settled on the yeast that we're going to use like moving forward. When we sit down and enjoy an IPA like this, I think it really, for us, we can say we're IPA drinkers. Yeah. Because this is how I would enjoy an IPA. Yeah. And again, I don't, I, the citrus notes there, like you said, the dryness and the mouthfeel. Yeah. I mean, it's all a great experience. It's actually kind of funny because, like, Josh doesn't like New England, like New England IPAs, doesn't like hazies, but is really good at brewing. So when he brewed this, this was his first ever on his own New England hazy recipe. He's like brewed other ones with St. Benji's, but like, this is his own recipe that we created together. And it's been like our, our top seller for nine months. And I love that because I can say like my cat's beer is the best. So like I can make fun of other people. But it's funny enough that like 
he's able to do really well with this because we're giving the right ingredients. But he loves wearing like West Coast and lagers, box, things like that. But we always call this like our lights on beer. Like this is a beer that everyone gets and that keeps my lights on and pays my bills. So that way we can do like the weird Japanese plum beer or do these other things. When does the weird Japanese plum beer <laughs> go like on tap? Probably two weeks, two, three weeks. All right. The sour's going to take a little we, bit to ferment out. We have to out. put that on our calendar. Yeah, it's going to be a weird that one. That sounds incredible. Well, Harry, I mean, Chad, That sounds like so much fun. I'll have to tag him in this because Harry does some weird beers. It's a little guy that does like these like tomato sours and like yam lagers and like sweet bread stouts, like weird beers. Like you think a tomato sour would taste just like just dog shit, like really bad. Like it would be bad. Really, it's upsetting how good it is. It's it's unfortunate how good it is. I don't think we've ever had a tomato. It's weird, dude. Yeah, his no. beers are his like his tag is experimental. So like he experiments with all this different stuff and he nails it like every time. It's it's wild, man. So I'm actually pretty stoked to have him in on Friday. I think it's gonna be like a little fun like a fun time. Be brewing and, and everything, get to put him to work for a little bit. You mentioned that this beer is named after your cat. Yeah, correct. How did the name Dr. Brewlittles come into play? My wife. Okay. So when we first made the place, like I did it with Chris, who's a veterinarian. And so when I was talking to my mom originally, they weren't like thrilled with the idea of not like me using things I went to school for. And also, like, starting a business and, like, you know, trying to open it up during the pandemic, like, all this stuff. Like, there's a lot against me. And so she was just looking out. And she's like, well, maybe don't do that. I'm like, nah, I'm probably going to do it. So, like, I don't know, like, either, like, hold on or I'll see you later. And she's like, all right, let's see what happens. <laughs> and so, like, after a while, she kind of came around to it. She started, like, giving out names. She said, oh, you should call it Dr. Doolittles. I was like, I for sure can't do that. That's definitely trademarked. Funnily enough, I think that they dropped the trademark. Like, they lapsed it on accident because it was actually available in the federal website for trademarks. Like, Dr. Period Doolittle, the way it was spelled and everything with the apostrophe was actually non-trademarked. It had just lapsed like two months ago. And I think somebody messed it up and I should have gotten it because I could have gotten a nice check probably for the upcoming Robert Downey Jr. Mover, or movie. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was doing that movie. Yeah, I didn't okay. either. But apparently like that was – they like See, they, they you lapsed you do the all name. that research, now you know that <laughs> yeah. that's coming up. But they lapsed the name and I was like, I can't call it Dr. Doolittle's mom. I'm like, come on. So I go. I, like, I was, think that's a good brewery name. No, nah, but like she was like trying to like, help out and give names. So I go inside and like I, she, at the time she was just my girlfriend, which is also crazy that my wife stuck at me while she was just my girlfriend. I was like, hey, by the way, I'm gonna like quit my job and open a brewery. I'm like, we weren't even married yet. She's like, yeah, all right. I was like, cool, thanks. And I came inside and we because just, she saw your potential. That's what we like to say. Yeah, yeah. Not because she was like, I don't know, you're just my boyfriend. I can just break up with you. That's usually what we like to say. She's stuck. She's stuck she now. She doesn't love you for the man yeah. that you are. She loves you for the man you are becoming. Yeah, she should because I was. It was rough. <laughs> But, I mean, it's still pretty rough. So she was like, well, why not Dr. Brewlittles? It's like a beer. And I was like, oh, that's really good. I hate how good that is. So I called Chris, and I was like, what do you think about this name? He's like, damn, I like that. He's like, do you think of that? I'm like, no, Casey did. He's like, oh. I was like, yeah, she owns part of the brewery now. He's like, yeah. <laughs> so she, I mean, it's just like me and Chris. She'll remind you. Yeah, hey, all the time. You, how's you, how's you, my brewery how's my doing? Brewery? All the time. She's like, I got 1%. Ryan's like, yeah, of course. Like, you have your 1%. Why would you not just want the percentage that I have? Right. But yeah, so it's my wife actually kind of like through A, B, and C came up with the name Dr. Brew Littles. And then a doggone good beer was the motto that I came up with just like from just like toying around a few things. Look, I, I love, again, I mean, you've got, you walk in, there are dogs here. Right. I mean, I haven't seen anybody bring a cat in yet. So I actually want to. I wish my cat was better on a leash. She's good when we put them on the harness outside. And like I'm the same way. I'm not good on a leash either. So it's I'm not okay. either, honestly. I really start like rolling around and alligator rolling and stuff. But I mean, I, I someone brought a snake in here once. Get out of here. They were like in their car and they came back from a vet appointment and they were like, they just came in to grab beer. I don't want to leave my, my snake in the ba- car. Basically, it was like a hot day. It was like, like, no, like a month ago when I was working. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't care. So they just like real quick grabbed some beer and then left. And I was like, all right, see you later. Bye. I would, I would love someone brought their cat in here, like, big time. I, All would, right. I would love that. It's going to be cat night. I would and, love that. And, you know, featuring your grog, yeah. right? 
and that'll be just the whole theme of the night. Yeah, that would make me very happy because I like cats way more than dogs. Fun, like oddly enough, because no one owns a dog on our our logo. It's a German short-haired pointer. No one has that dog. No one's ever had that dog. How did you pick the dog? So we did a thing called Logo My Way. It's like a comp- basically a website where you can submit like what you're looking for, your company ideas for a logo, and then a bunch of individual like freelance graphic artists will submit things. And right. You pick the winner, and then you pay the winner, and then you own the rights to the logo. And that's we were like just it looks really good on stuff. So like I like our pennant logo. I think it looks good on some things, but I like the, just like the classic circle. It's going to bottles, cans, like easy, simple logo to like put on merch and stuff like that. So we just kind of picked that. And I think look, let's face it, if you're a dog lover mm-hmm. you're going to gravitate towards that right away yeah I mean we love that people can bring their dogs in here and hang out like I, I love I mean it's honestly, so much fun it's like hanging out yeah. and meeting new dogs and you've got the outside too yep and you've got this beautiful upstairs which are you do do you do this for events or just overflow so or? it's both so overflow during the week because usually Fridays and Saturdays we're mocked like we're just even oddly enough like with people going to the shore we've still been very busy and like Sundays are usually packed for us too um, but like this will be overflow on the weekends and then it's also nice because I can rent upstairs out and not have to close the whole brewery for an event so I can use upstairs I can use the tent like we've had people do a bunch of stuff so it's just it's convenient to have because I can fit 35 people up here we're actually in the process I think next week when we start we're ripping up the deck because the guy lived up here so these were two bedrooms here again pointing at stuff for all the listeners so these doors basically downstairs was a barber shop and he lived up here so these, this was a bedroom, that door was a bedroom, and then he had his kitchen up here, his living room, a bathroom, and a closet, and that was his balcony. And basically, that was his backyard that we raised down and built the building on. And so we're ripping up the deck, we're redoing our, like a fiberglass roof, we're putting all treks down, we're building it out to the pole barn. So we're adding like six feet in length to it and adding a stairwell, so I'll have higher capacity up here. Now I'm going to be putting out like ten tables on the balcony, we're redoing the railing and I'll tell you what, that's, to me... That's going to be the table you're going to want to have yeah. out there. I love our outdoor seating, but it's far. because so I can't have outdoor seating in the front because it's a county road and it's a small sidewalk. But the town let me use that, and I have that until November of next year through the ABC, like our temporary COVID outside permit, whatever it is. I would hope that with everybody coming together, we've had conversations with other um, – we've had conversations with other business owners mm. to see that extended. I, it's so good it shouldn't business. even be extended, it should just be permanent. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That, that it should stay. There's no reason it shouldn't be. I mean, why? why? Like, I want a good reason why you don't think that we should be able to have the outdoor space you're allowing staff now. What's the difference? Like, I get that you're like, you did it for outside because of COVID stuff. Because apparently, like, COVID doesn't work outside and all that stuff. Like, we always make those jokes. It comes out only after 10 p.m. And, you Jack, know, I can understand. You can sit down. I can understand the fact that maybe you want to take away those, you know, huts yeah. That's taking up parking on the street. That yeah, hundred percent. And I can understand for some businesses where you're impeding the sidewalk. Yeah. Maybe you take away those tables. I get that too. But when you've given people the ability to use their space that's already there, yeah. or even parking lot space, yeah. if it if if losing like ten spaces Yeah, it's a huge public parking lot. The township loves it. They're like, keep it forever, we don't care. Because I asked for like seven, like you want nine spaces? Like, yeah, I do. I want nine spaces. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got like 60 seats out there. But like, there's no reason that like, I like Eclipse Brew just made it permanent like a couple months ago, I think. They have a beautiful outdoor section now, but it was a pain in the ass to get before. And because of COVID, they were able to make it permanent. But like, there's no reason that I shouldn't be allowed to do that if the town's cool with it. I think it should come down to a township thing. Like if your township doesn't want tables on their sidewalk, that's fine. I get it. But if the state's like, you can't do that in a public parking lot behind your building or on property that you own, I'm like, why though? Like, right. What's the difference? All we're doing is getting more people in the brewery to give you more money and taxes at the end of our quarters. Why would you want us to not make more money to give to you? I don't get that. It's wild. 
Well, what's wild is what is number four? So number four is Money in the Banana Stand. Ah, oh, yes. I saw that yeah. when you're. T- I, I hadn't. So had I, I, I had to give a disclaimer to this beer. So we tapped it on Friday. Money in the Banana Stand. Yeah, it's a um, Arrested Development reference. Okay. Yes. See, we're not arrest. We got to get hip on Arrested Development. It's a good show. I've gotten a few uh, emails about our names. Our first email I ever got saying that they didn't want to come back to my brewery was another Arrested Development <laughs> uh, reference. I did a uh, Wit beer. And we did a blueberry wit, and I called it I Just Blew Myself, because there's a scene in the show where, like, blue paint gets all over me. He's like, oh, I just blew myself. And it's funny, and it's, like, it's it's harmless. So I'm not coming back to your brewery. 100%. Because yeah. We had a, yeah, uh, I forget her name. Bye. Pat, Pat, Patricia, I'll call her out. Patricia Barrett. I call her out on every podcast. But, but, Bye. Her name's Patricia Barrett. And she sent me an email saying, like, this isn't, you're not, you're not welcoming. I can't believe you name a beer this. It's a joke about, like, oral. And I was like, dude, like, it's a name of a beer. We've also had some other beers. Like, we made a WAP beer. We did, like, uh, wet ass peppers we did a spice barley wine um i've had some like kind of like on the cuff names so i like naming things i don't care if people think about it um but like money in the banana sand was kind of a more subtle reference it wasn't as like bad um so this, i think it's funny yeah. I and mean, even the conversation that people are getting bent out of shape yeah over a name up, up your name that they don't <laughs> right. even have to drink or go to right we yeah. I, again um Mooduck has a beer called we can't call it that Nice. And again, they were getting together yeah. and talking about what they would be able to, you know, they were throwing out what names for name beer. Yeah. And again, it was like, oh, we can't call it that. Yeah. And they said, no, that's the beer name. We can't call it that. Yeah, that's yeah. good. I like that. And I know, and you made an untapped reference because I know a lot of breweries will go back to untapped or yeah. they'll go to the list and say, oh, no, no, there's already a beer named that. So yeah. we can't call it that because they didn't. It'll it's be another confused. one has it, yeah. yeah. So I'll always say, like, weirdly enough, like, if there's a beer in PA or Jersey that has that name, I won't call it that. But if it's like, Arizona or California, I'm doing a one-off beer. Like, nobody cares. Like, I mean, there's, like, 30 different, like, iterations of Money in the Banana Stand. There's always Money in the Banana Stand, Money in the Stand, like, stuff like that. So, we have an assistant brewer, John, that I just hired back in March. And, like, a big thing for Josh was he loves making our core four and likes, like, the bigger production side of things. So, John was going to be the assistant brewer and also take over some of the experimental side of things. Like, basically being like, hey, here's a keg of a beer. Do whatever you want with it. And we'll just see if it's good. And if it's not good, we dump it. But if it's great, that's it's great. Because it's a keg of beer. The, the long run of things, like, I don't care about a single keg of beer. So we gave him Murphy's Law, which was our export stat that we just took off. And we had one keg left. And he was like, I want to make, like, a s'mores beer. I'm like, all right, dope. Like, go for it. Put it on nitro. He's like, yeah, sick. Because usually what I'll say is, like, here's a keg. Don't tell me what you're doing. Tell me when you're done. And I want to see what you can do. Like, that's how we'd be like, how good of a brewery can you be? I want to see what you do by yourself. Because for him, he did home brewing, but has never worked ever in a professional brewing environment. It's so we, we were his step, first right? one. Yep, 100%. Yeah. And now he's brewing by himself. I trust him to run the brewery by himself now. So when he made the s'mores beer, the graham crack- cracker didn't come out that much. So it was like marshmallow and chocolate. But like, it's just like a chocolate. It was like a chocolate stat. He's like, I want something else. So we actually put banana in it. And then it became like a chocolate-covered banana. And so you got some of that sweetness and like from the chocolate banana and like the marshmallow. But then there was like that big roasty from like the Murphy's Law. It was a 7.5% export stout. And so we tapped this on Friday. And there's like barely any left in the keg today. So we basically sold it out in a weekend. Like a single keg was like, usually when you do those experimentals are gone in like a day or two. This one is like pretty much done. So it's like towards the bottom of the keg. So you're getting like the run. Of, I was curious because you've got some sort it's, of. It's all natural stuff. So there's yeah, mar- there's actual marshmallows, <laughs> pieces of chocolate, pieces of banana. I've never had, and all the stouts we've had, I've never had this to it's look the way it does. Yeah. So it's, it. In my opinion, this like came out like this is now more like chocolatey than it's banana because yeah. some of the banana dropped. 
but this beer is like I would say maybe about half of what it was on Friday because when you do these experimentals they they drop out like that like that's why we sell them so quickly and do one keg at a time because the flavor can drop very quickly if the beer doesn't take it well so this in my opinion is still a very good beer but I loved it I mean on Friday I loved it which is why we have like none left so basically after today I'm I'm pulling it period because I only have like the bottom of the keg and it's on nitro too so it's basically like a banana chocolate milk it is so good wow so so good so I said I'm glad we're not cherry it's like a banana yoohoo now yeah it's really good literally I this is the first stout that I think we've had that I literally feel like I'm just drinking a milkshake Mm. like you just literally put that in the blender you put all my favorite ingredients in here and I get this and And this is I didn't have to use lactose or sugar to sweeten it I just used natural things just that you can get Again, there's that commentary. Yeah. Let the ingredients stand on their own. Yeah, let, the, let, let it do its work, man. Like, why cover it? But when it was funny enough, because, like, the first keg we ever gave them was a keg of our, um, I think we either did Smash or Goldeneye, and we're like, you know, do an experimental. He put, like, um, uh, pea flour and, like, strawberry in it. But, like, the pea flour came, like, really overwhelming, and it was, like, so bitter. I'm not even sure what pea flour is. Pea flour is just, like, a, basically, like, a, it's, like, a purplish flour, so it'll add, like, a little bit of floralness to it, but it'll purple the beer, too. So it's a natural ingredient that you can use to change the color of something. So, again, I'm not using dye or extract. I'm using a naturally occurring flour to f- put a little floral note and also, like, di- kind of color a beer. But it came out, like, really bitter. And I was like, I like this because I do like a bitter bomb once in a while. But I was like, this is th- – like, I would put – we can't put this on tap. She's like, ah, shit. So we dumped it. He's like, I was like, just take another keg and do whatever you want. So he's done three so far. We had this one, the elderflower one, and there's one other one that I did that I cannot remember. But this has been my favorite so far. This is – I mean, this is like lights out. I even love looking at the sediment and what yeah. is just holding on to the top of your beer. Yeah, and it's all on nitro too. So you're getting like a lot of the drop-off comes. Because any beer you put on nitro, same thing. I'll never do a nitro beer to go because I don't want like a sitting in a can. You having like roll a can to make a beer good. That's dumb. So I won't do this to go. It's only eight ounce pours in house. And once it's like done, I don't care if it's like consider if I don't like it halfway through the keg, I'll pull the rest of the keg. So this is like right at the end of it. I'm gonna have Jeff pull this tonight because I think that it's not run its course, but like it's it's good now. Like it's it's every it's, it's got its worth and it, it probably to, has like a tenth if you're of the able keg to duplicate left. this, yeah. This is like one of those <laughs> we, we've had a lot of our experimental. And I'm like sure really it's like that for you, right? Yeah. I mean you do an experimental and it's like we should just, you know, how many taps can you have or yeah. how many standards can you have, right? Yeah, there's there's people that are asking for stuff that we brewed last fall already. They asked for it all year. Like, we did um, monkey bread, which was a um, banana bread stout. Um, we've done uh, back in the gif, which is chocolate peanut butter. Uh, we did a jalapeno saison, which people liked a lot. People are people asked for Oktoberfest in, like, February. They were like, you bring it back? I'm like, yeah, in October. It's Oktoberfest. <laughs> it's a Marzen. He's like, yeah, what about now? Wait, wait, wait. Like, isn't Oktoberfest in September? Are yeah, you there yet? There you go. jalapeno one coming back. So we did a jalapeno lime saison. So when we do, I uh, am talking with, I'm trying to get Amanda and Sean from The Seed to come hang out with me and do a saison because, like, they're and my that's favorite saison. Yeah, they're my Right next dude, to Little Water Distillery. I think they're the top three brewery in the state right now. I... I cannot tell you how much I love what Amanda's doing because she's like me. A lot of wild fermentation, a lot of like big open tanks. Like I love what she does. Her saisons, her lagers, like they're some of my favorite beers. And I want them to come do a saison with me because I think that they're the best people doing saisons right now, period. I've never had a better saison than theirs. And I'm talking like countrywide. I love, love their saison. So I'm going to try to get Amanda and Sean in house and just kind of, you know, hang out and 
you know, do a saison. Then I'll do like the same thing. Like when we do like big beers like that, I'll take like a keg or two off and then like do an experimental. Like as we tap the beer, put the experimental on for a week too. So you can taste the base, but also like, Hey, this is what we did with the beer. That's why I like doing that a lot. You know, I don't get emotional on the podcast that often, <laughs> but I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. Thanks. I love your creativity. And it's almost when you, you know, as far as what you're saying, Jack, it's like, first of all, you know, Burlington, um, and that area, you know, Maple Shade, that area, where we are right now, I mean, in this area, yeah. you're minutes from Philadelphia. Yep. You're not that far from New York. You're not that far from, mm-hmm. you know, like, this is location-wise. If people haven't put, you know, Dr. Brulittles on their list and haven't heard of you yet, <laughs> they should come here. Nice. But, you know, what I would tell you is this is the, the banana stout that we're drinking. Yeah is such a wonderful beer. This is like, all these beers were awesome. Like, Thank you. We still, I'm, I, I don't want you to make a bad beer, yeah. but you're making an amazing, exceptional beers. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in a weird way. Like, I always, so we named a beer Murphy's Law because I truly do believe in like, anything that bad that can happen will happen eventually. So I'm still waiting for that foot to drop because like, even like in our general, like going about of things, like no one's really ever said bad stuff about us. We're actually like one of the highest, like even still like one of the higher like rated brews in Jersey, even with all the untapped stuff going on. I knew I grew the quickest. I'm the youngest. Like I get a lot of shit wherever I go because they're like, you're young. You don't know anything about beer. And then they try my beer and they're like, oh wait, you guys do know about beer. And I'm like, yeah, we do. It's like super easy to make good beer and not be like, you know, crazy about it. But John F. Kennedy was the youngest president elected. Now, yeah. I don't want to see what happened to him happen to you. I would hope not. But <laughs> that would be a rough I would way say to is, go. It's, it's not about age. Yeah. It, it, it's really about how you go about doing what you're doing yeah. and your intentionality. Yeah. And what you're doing with your brewer and your partners. And I will tell you, the welcoming feel that we have had coming here. That's also part of what you're doing. The people that you have that are pouring beers and the suggestions that they'll make and, you know, how they'll, you know, welcome you here. I mean, a big reason I'm doing so well. It's all part of it. It's my staff. I have a phenomenal staff. It's all part of it. You know, and and let's face it, craft breweries going into an establishment, establishment for the first time can be overwhelming. Yeah. If you feel like the first time you open the door... That it's wow, this is I, I want to come back. If you go in already and you want to come back, that's a huge compliment to your staff. Yeah, we could have opened like a really big place, but that's not the vibe we wanted. Like I wanted like like I feel like a lot of places also don't have end goals. Like our vibe was like just be like calm, quaint, a nice place to go, but not too nice that it's you know off putting and not too big that you feel overwhelmed. And like my end goal is like I'd love to do distribution, but like I would love just to be able to like visit my parents in Long Island or have them go to like the local beer store and get like a four pack of my beer. I don't need to get any bigger than that, man. Like, I, my goal when we made this place was not to get bought out by some, like, big in-bev comp. Like, I, I just wanted, like, just to make a brewery for us. Like, me and Chris, a place to hang out, something that we could be really proud of. And, like, it just worked. Like, I feel like common sense worked a lot for me. Like, I'm just – I think it's almost helpful that I didn't have knowledge in the industry because whatever I learned, I learned from scratch. So it wasn't like I had things to base it off of, and I was like, oh, this is how it's been done. Like, this is how it should do it. I'm like, no, no, how do I want to do it? How do I learn how to do it? That's how I'm going to do it. And we're at a point where I'm like, all right, so where are we putting our, like, second place? Because, like, we don't well, have, room, my, to, we don't have my, room to grow here my, anymore. That's my thought as no you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But that's my thought is what you're saying. Like, initially, you were so focused or have been so focused on putting together this brewery mm. 
the thinking about the next steps or saying, I don't want those next, I, this is what I want. Yeah. But now like we're like, I always say, you know, that, that, um, that job interview question, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. Well, we get that a lot. And like, I always answer the same way of like, I don't think more than six months ahead because like I set a six month goal. Like, where do I want to be in six months? Cause it's attainable. Five years for me, I could either be, you know, on the streets or I could be in four breweries. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do in five years. So I like setting like sets for myself. So like when we first opened up, I was like, all right, let me open up and, you know, make good beer. Boom. Easy. Done. Okay. Now that we're opened up, let me like start like, you know, actually making money in the place. Okay. Now we're doing that. <laughs> That's always a, when you get yeah, home, I know. you know, Hey, did you bring your I check home some tonight? Bills to pay, yeah. <laughs> and then like the next step was like, okay, now people really want like, we're, we can't brew enough. Can we, can we do enough where we can like put more tanks in? Okay. We did that. Okay, can now we get a candle on do some distribution? We're doing that. So I'm setting smaller goals for myself. And like now it, it makes it more attainable. And it doesn't make me think like I have to like really race and make quick, rash decisions to get to that five year goal. I can make calculated step moves to get to each goal every six months or something like that. And so now our next one is like, yeah, it's a stretch, but like we're at a point now where like if we want to grow any more at all, we need to either expand outwards, which we really can't do. Uh, or we need a second place so where I can like brew and have bigger tanks and stuff like that. So like, that's like the next goal. And that might be like a more of a year goal, but it's still like the next thing for me is like, cause distribution is tough. You don't have very big tanks. Now it's like, what can I do to get to the place where like I could get my parents a four pack in New York? Or, like we could see our beer. Like I, you know, Grog is on our cans. Like we just started canning 16 ounce beers. My cat is that exact cat on that can of Grog's. Like it, to a T is his color. And I've sent him to California for my friends. It's like weird to think that like, my cat's beer is traveling across the country to go to like California. So that was like the next step for me. Like, could I, can I send a four pack of my beer to my friends in California? Not like the crowlers, not the growlers, not like, like a four pack that you can find in a store. Let me send that out to California. And so like, it's just like little goals here and there. It makes it more attainable than being like shit. Like in five years, I have to like get bought by a company or have four breweries or be doing like three state distribution. Cause you're just going to make rash decisions and you're going to rush to get to that goal. Instead of taking your time and doing all the things, the 30 steps that it takes to get there, you're going to try to skip over five steps at a time. So far in your infancy of growing this brewery, what have been some of the aha moments where you really felt you were like, wow, this is, we're on the right, you're on the right track. The first time I tasted Josh's beer was our biggest one. Cause like I had never, so when we interviewed, we interviewed Josh and Ingrid were our top two candidates and Ingrid just had beer to taste and a little bit more of like a dynamic background and, you know, was more of like kind of a people person kind of thing. And so we were like, all right, we're going to pick Ingrid, you know, we talked to Josh and what feelings and he went like worked at Mainstay. But when we went back to Josh, I was like, I didn't get a try any of his beers. I tried like St. Benjamin beers, but they were like two month old, three month old beers that like were there before they closed and all this stuff. And I was like, damn, like I wanted to try his beer. And so when we got him, we had never really tried fresh beer from Josh. So we had no idea what we were getting. And I was like, all right, I know that Josh is experienced. He's worked at places that I would not hire someone who didn't know about beer. And he was the head brewer for St. Benjamin's before. Unfortunately, the ownership closed it down. It wasn't even because the brewery was doing bad or the restaurant. The ownership closed it. And I was like, damn, like, what if, like, we did all this work and, like, the beer's bad? And then I had his beer and I was like, oh, man. I was like, yeah, we're good. Like, this is, like, ah, oh, like, we did something right. And that was, like, our first big, like, aha, like, all right, we hired someone good. Like, all right, let's keep this rolling. And then the next one was kind of, like, when we started canning and moving our, like, to-go model, our first week was July 4th. So, like, it was, like, a lot of time in between. A lot of the other things were just, like, little things that we did along the way. But our other thing was July 4th we had started canning, like, our six, our four-packs, and we saw, I saw like 15 or 16 cases of four packs in our first week. And that was like more volume than I've done in crowds in like two or three months. And we're like, oh, people like four packs, you can grab it and go. Like crowd, so like we're moving away from crowlers and somewhat growlers, like four pack model. And that's made stuff a lot more accessible to where I've seen like a spike in sales in the last like, you know, 
month basically that we've had just because of our four packs. Even though you're making less money on it because it's aluminum and you know you're doing more beer for less money, we've still seen a, a growth in sales and a growth in outside markets because now I literally have a list of 30 places that are like, hey, we want cans. Hey, we want kegs. Hey, you know, when can you give us 10 cases of beer? Hey, when can we get two kegs for the restaurant? And I'm like, I can't yet because I still have to supply my, my tap room. So like the next like couple of months, my goal is by the end of the summer to have that list whittled down and do a few places here and there. And like there's like a total wine that wants us, a canals that want us, and then kind of starts applying here and there and then grow from there. I think that's a huge compliment. Yeah, it's wild, man. That the growth is exceeding or even outgrowing where you are today. Yeah. Well, we didn't think we would be canning beer for like our first like year and a half. Yeah. One of the, sir, you know, one of the bartenders or, you know, people that we talked to said, Hey, we're, she was excited. You know, we're, we're going to, you had those beautiful, um, refrigeration Uh, units, but they weren't full when we were here. Yeah. Well, next week we're going to be canning. Yeah. It's, it's weird, man. It's weird to see how quickly we've grown. Like it's definitely starting to get me though. Cause like the last two months have been like 60 hour weeks for me, like every week. So it's definitely starting to feel like the, the crash and burn. But it's also really nice to like, I don't know, like I feel bad complaining about it in one aspect because I'm complaining about being like too busy and we're doing too well and I own a brewery. Like I'm complaining about like very like, you know, like kind of like highfalutin problems. But at the same time, like that's just what I have to complain about. Like that's my thing. It's like, you know, if you're a multimillionaire and like three of your cars break down, you only have two left. That's just your thing to complain about kind of vibe. But like it's it's nice to complain about being too busy. But it's still like we're growing almost quicker than I can like handle. But we're we're keeping up so far. So I think that's where it comes yeah. in that you. So I sense again, it's about structure. Yeah. And you'd like to have that order in your life. Yeah. So that growth takes away some of that structure and order yeah. for you. I look like a homeless person with my hair and beard and like. Oh, I, I wouldn't gram, say that. But, but I, <laughs> I, I do like to be very organized and clean. Like I, I like, I like structure. Like I, I love winging things. Like that's how I basically do everything. But there's a method to me winging it. Like I know I have like, a, okay, if I'm going to wing this thing, like I know what I have to do to be able to wing it. I like to do stuff last minute. Like I'm good at doing that. I'm not good at when it's like, hey, what's your five-year plan? That's tough for me because then I'm like – because I don't know where I'm going to be. We did our three-year plan for the brew when we first opened up and it's completely changed. And so I'm like – I get the point of planning that but at the same time, like I don't know where I'm going to be in three years. I could be divorced living in a gutter in three years. I don't know what the hell's going to happen. I hope not. I hope not too. I hope that I'm in like my second place and my wife still likes me. But yeah, I mean it's just – I don't know. We're just growing like step by step basically. I like, I like steps. I like, I like growing at an you know, even pace. I'll tell you what, this has been amazing in terms of sitting down and talking to you. Thank you. The beer is phenomenal. <laughs> and, you know, how do people find you? Where should they be coming to? Your website, the location? Yeah, so we have a website, drbrewlittlesbeer.com. Um, we have an Instagram and Facebook. It's usually just, if you search Dr. Brewlittles, it's also linked on my website. Um, we have a contact form on there. So basically, if you go to contact us, you're emailing me. I do all of our social media. I do all the responses, the posts, the pictures. I run our email. Like, no one gets those messages but me. So, like, you can hit me up on the contact form. You can DM me on Instagram. I mean, you can call us. I'm pretty sure in, like, my email, I have, like, my cell phone in there. So, I get calls, like, one in the morning. I've gotten on, like, a Saturday. Like, you guys still open? But, like, it's fine. I don't mind those calls. But, I mean, Instagram is probably a good place for us. Our website. Um, that's where you're going to see, like, beer releases, things coming up, all the pictures we're taking. Um, that's pretty much it. Like, just general social media stuff. If you're in the area on vacation, if you're <laughs> living within a two-hour radius of Dr. <laughs> Brewlittles, you really need to come here, grab a four-pack, bring it home, share it with friends. Jack, we, we say this a lot. Don and I talk about We look forward to all the great things. Thank you. In your future. I appreciate that. These great new releases, this yeah. Oktoberfest, 
this, you know, ketchup, okay. this, this ketchup stout you're working yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, I got it, yeah. It's like the Chamonix did a hot dog beer, but they only put one hot dog in the boiler so you couldn't even taste it, but called it a hot dog beer. Today's we'll hot doing dog that. Day, by the way. Oh, there you go, yeah. But no. Uh, don't get any ideas. I mean, no meat in beer. That's, no, that's yeah. not good. But I also like thanking you guys, too, because I feel like a lot of, like, it's hard getting brewery news out in different mediums. So the reason I love doing podcasts so much is because there's such, like, a different variety of them. And without people like you doing podcasts, and, like, a lot of people won't find out about it. So I always like to say thank you to you guys because, like, you're also providing a service to me that I can't do. So it's nice to have someone else that I can be like, oh, this person could do this for me. And I can just sit down and talk and hang out and then just, you know, just evolves into something. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And I'll tell you what. I mean, you who in a beer. I mean, I'm looking at the sediment that's just sitting here. This is amazing. Yeah, I'll yeah. share. This is great. Jack, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.